Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Well, good morning. While they're going out, I just want to mention earlier, Pastor Jim said when he was in Israel, he left me in charge, and I didn't know that until just now. <laughs> the whole time, I was listening to everything Gary told me to do. So next, next time you go, let me know that I'm in charge, and I'll make sure I get some stuff done around here. Well, uh, as Jim already said too, I'm leaving this week on Saturday for Macedonia, really looking forward to my trip and uh, just want to say I'm really going to miss all of you. Uh, It's been wonderful being here at the church these last eight or nine months and working, serving here at the church, Um, but I'm also really excited about what I'm going to be doing over there, so it's kind of bittersweet, but thank you all for supporting me, thank you for praying for me. Uh, ever since I started talking about Macedonia, people have been coming up and saying, we've been praying for you. Uh, they've been slipping little cards in my hand at church. They've been giving me little encouraging notes here and there. It's been really awesome. Uh, and I have been reminded, and I hope you're reminded, that not everyone has this. Not everyone is part of a body of believers that support them and care about them and love them. A lot of the world goes through life all by themselves. And I'm very grateful to not have to do that. So thank you. I should say this more often, but I really love working here at the church. I love being at Berean. I love my job. Not too many people, well, I don't know, not everyone can say that they love their job, right? I've had lots of jobs I did not like. In fact, uh, up until I was in ministry, I used to joke with people and say, I've made a career out of finding out what I don't want to do in life. <laughs> Sometimes that feels like how it's kind of gone. Um, one of the things I really love about being in ministry full-time uh, or close to full-time, is that I get paid to think about Christianity. And that's pretty cool. I personally really love to study theology. I love to think about the Bible. But uh, what really gets me going, what gets my mental juices flowing, is thinking about Christian culture. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes when I think about Christian culture, I don't really like what I think about. Sometimes it's hard for me to think about some of the things that go on in our culture. Um, but if you might, you might remember back to the first time I preached here, I talked about uh, one of these similar topics. I talked about how people learn. And specifically, I was talking about how people in Christian culture learn. And one of the things I mentioned was this idea of enculturation, or what the cultures that we're a part of teach us. Oftentimes, enculturation uh, can be kind of subliminal. We don't know that we're learning things that we're learning because the culture just teaches us, and it's not very blatantly obvious. Um, and when I, if you've been in my Sunday school classes or if you've heard me preach before, this, this part's going to be a little repetitive because I've mentioned this so many times. But the example I always give is to talk about love. Anyone that's interested in Christianity even a little bit, when they come up to someone like, you know, Mark Broughton and say, hey, I want to know about Christianity, one of the first things we probably will tell them is, well, John 3.16, God loves you, right? And yet, oftentimes, uh, when we go around the church, when we start talking to people, say, hey, do you guys feel loved? The people say, uh, I don't really feel loved. I don't really feel lovable or loved by God. And so there's a disconnect there between our theology and how we actually live out what we believe, right? And this topic, I could probably teach a sermon series that would last the next five years on this topic, because this is what really gets me passionate and what I love to study. But um, the question I always ask with 
with ideas like this is, my favorite question, why? What is it that causes people to not live as if their theology is true? Why can we believe something out here and yet live out the opposite? Today, we're not going to necessarily be talking about love. I just use that as an example, although you'll find that the topic of love is sprinkled into what we're talking about. We're going to talk about another issue where I think our theology and how we live do not line up perfectly, why there's a disconnect uh, between our head knowledge and what we do. So um, I think this topic is probably one of the most important topics concerning the American church today. Hopefully you'll like what I've prepared. So if you're with me so far, please turn to Galatians chapter 5. Uh-oh. I thought this might happen. <laughs> Anyone have an NIV Bible I could borrow for two seconds? I'm dependent on technology and it's failing me. <laughs> Just because I work for you, Josh. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know where Galatians is? Yeah. It's under all these notes. We did not rehearse this ahead of time, I promise. Do I know where Galatians is? Holy cow. It's a little worn. It's a little little worn. Okay, Galatians 5. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Kevin. You're a lifesaver. Okay, I'll put this down. Galatians 5, we're going to start in verse 13. And we read this. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual, immor- uh, so- ugh, sexual immorality, sorry, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. All right, there's a lot there. Let's talk about this for a while. The first thing Paul says in verse 13 He says, you and I were called to be free. Now, the word free can mean a lot of different things depending on the context. We're kind of jumping in here. Uh, If you look, the book of Galatians is only six chapters, and I'm jumping in uh, five and a half chapters into the book. So (laughs) the context of the previous chapters is very important when we say, what do you mean when he says we are free? Paul's talking here about freedom from the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. Someone out there might say, well, what exactly is the Mosaic Law? Have any of you ever uh, done one of those read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year programs? Anybody? A few of us? 
Okay, so the Mosaic Law, you know, you start out in January and you start reading Genesis and you say, oh, that was pretty interesting. And you get to Exodus and you go, oh, that was really interesting. And then you get to Leviticus and you go, oh, oh no, what is this? Leviticus, um, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, <laughs> Deuteronomy, sorry. I got a master's in theology, by the way. No? <laughs> I do know the books of the Bible. Okay, uh, the Mosaic Law is in there, right? And you get to it in your reading program and you go, oh, I just don't think I can read through the Bible in a year because this is impossible. Uh, the Mosaic Law is the epitome of structure. It's the epitome of rules telling you everything about how you should live, right? And uh, I, don't, I don't know about you. I've never been in the military, but I often think of the Mosaic Law kind of like what it must be like to be in the military, where they tell you what time you have to wake up, what time you have to eat, what your shoes can be like, whether you can have facial hair or not, what kind of haircut you can get. It's just so structured. Everyone tells you everything you have to do, right? But the Mosaic Law is like far and away above anything the military might throw at you. And as we think about the context of freedom here, it's important to realize that the Mosaic Law had been around at this point for close to 1,500 years, a little bit less, but it had been a very long time. If you were in Sunday school with trainer's class uh, this morning, you know 1,500 years is a very, very long time. This is 1,500 years of tradition, of cultural norms, of systems that have been put in place to help people obey all the rules. And then one day, Jesus comes along and dies for everyone's sins, raises again, He gives Paul this ministry, and Paul comes around and says, Hey guys, you don't have to do this anymore. 1,500 years was enough. You are free. Can you imagine what some of the responses might have been to this proclamation? Anyone seen Braveheart? Freedom! Right? (laughs) I won't tell you what happens right after that, but if you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. Um, sure, there was a lot of people that felt this immense sense of freedom, of joy, of relief, stress coming off of them, saying, I don't have to do this anymore. Maybe there was some confusion, some uncertainty. People might have said, well, okay, what do I do now? You took away all the rules. You took away all these things that I live my life by. What do I do now? How do I go about the day tomorrow? We know from reading other parts of the Bible that there was some hesitance, wasn't there? People kind of wanted to hold on to some of the old rules. Even some of the apostles and Paul got into disagreements about this where they said, no, you know, we know that the law has been abolished, but we still think some of it we should hold on to. And Paul said, no, no, don't do that. Maybe there was some hesitance on their part. Now, as we look at the church here in Galatia, these were not Jewish people. They were Gentiles. Paul had come through... On his first missionary journey, he had set up this church. Uh, he had lived there with them for a period of time, established the church, taught them the message of grace, and then left. Um, but these were not Jewish people. They did not have the 1,500 years of tradition and law that the Jewish Christians would have had. Most likely, the Gentile church was made up of descendants from the Celt people, Celtic people, uh, who live what we call today Turkey. Galatia is in what we would call present-day Turkey. And they did not have the history of law. And so what happened was after Paul left and established the church, he took off, he went away, went on to the next place. We have these Jewish Christians who travel over sometime after that 
to Galatia, and uh, they are Jewish Christians who come in probably, today we might call them missionaries, actually, because that's what we do, right? People from another area that come down and are set up to share the word of God with a people group that's not their own. So something like missionaries from the Jewish Christian group came down, and they came into Galatia, and they go, oh, there's already a church here. Let's fellowship with them. Let's talk with them. Let's have a good time with them. And they start teaching things that were wrong. Paul refers to these people in the book here, Galatians, as Judaizers. And their message was really simple. It said they were telling people that you are saved by grace, but you also have to keep the Mosaic Law. Specifically, one of the topics of interest to them was circumcision. But there were also others. And so the Judaizers were saying you are justified by grace, but also by adherence to following the rules. And Paul very adamantly in these six chapters of Galatians says, no, grace is sufficient. It's all you need. You don't have to do all the law anymore. But if you read the book, you know that people within the church of Galatia were misled. They were led astray by these false teachings and that they were following the Judaizers and practicing what Paul calls a false gospel. He says, no, you were called to be free from the burden of the Mosaic Law. But then he goes on to say, be careful how you use your freedom. Now, some of you know that Pastor Gary and I traveled back to GBC a few weeks ago. We had a leadership conference there, and it was really cool. Uh, Gary and I were roommates at GBC back in 2000 and 2000 to 2002, I think. Uh, I don't know, that whole period is a bit of a haze for me, but I think we were there. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, it was really cool because one of my former youth group students, Nick, is now a student there. And so I got to hang out with Nick a lot. It was really cool. One of the first nights I was there, he invited me over to his house to watch the NBA playoffs. And I remember I walked into his apartment and we opened the door and immediately, I really hope he doesn't listen to this recording, by the way, because he'll be embarrassed. But I realized I was in a college student's apartment. I mean, there was like pizza boxes on the floor. There was cans of soda that were just scattered everywhere. There was clothing all over the furniture and in the kitchen. It was filthy, right? And I had to kind of just chuckle to myself because I remember when I was in college and how we kind of did a lot of stupid things that I'm not going to tell you about. But we would, you know, some of the things would be like we'd stay up till 4 in the morning. You know, it would be like 1 a.m. and Gary would say to me, you want to order a pizza? Well, when I lived at home, there was never a time when I ordered a pizza at 1 a.m. But in college, you can order a pizza at 1 a.m. and stay up till 4 playing video games, do whatever you want, because there's no one there enforcing the law, right? A lot of Christian kids really go crazy freshman year because they are free from law, and they now have this freedom. Paul says, hey, be careful how you use your freedom. Do not use it to indulge the flesh or the sin nature. Instead, serve one another humbly in love, right? And he goes on to talk about the acts of the sin nature. He lists a pretty long list there and says the acts of the flesh are obvious. But he combats what the Judaizers are saying by saying this, that the entire law is summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that the law stood for, everything the Judaizers are trying to hold the Galatian church to, is summed up in that one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I naturally come to a question. The question for me is, how do I not indulge the flesh, but instead love my neighbor as myself? 
Anyone else wonder that? How do we not indulge the flesh but love our neighbor as ourselves? What does Paul say here? Point two, he says, is walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So then the next question is, well, how do we walk by the Spirit? Anyone else wonder that? How do we walk by the Spirit? If you look in verse 18, what does Paul say? He says, but if you, what? are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Walking by the Spirit, in my opinion, and I think Paul's opinion means submitting and surrendering to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's been a little bit of argument. Uh, I read, whenever I preach, I always try to do my own study first, and then I go and kind of look at different books and commentaries to see what people who are smarter than me, or sometimes dumber than me, think. <laughs> um, there's kind of a little bit of discussion about this transition in our verses today because in the first part of the book, up through the first five and a half chapters, it kind of seems like Paul's talking about the law versus no law. And now all of a sudden we come to our passage today and it's like, well, did he switch? Because now he's talking about the sin nature or the flesh versus the spirit. And it seems kind of a weird thing to do when you're coming to the end of your letter to just suddenly switch topics. But I want to suggest to you guys today that it's not separate issues. He's not changing the subject. He's not going to a new topic, but these are directly related. What Paul says is here that we have two systems that are in conflict with each other. These two systems are in conflict with each other. The law and no law are in conflict with each other. And the flesh and the spirit are at conflict with each other. They're tied together. Because what we know about the law is what? That it is a system of flesh. Everything in the law relies upon human effort and sheer willpower. Within the law, a devout Jew could study the law. They could look at it. They say, these are the rules. These are the parameters that have been drawn. I understand them clearly. And now it's up to me to either follow them or to fail miserably, right? And under the law, a person would be justified by whether they do it or whether they don't do it, right? Now we know because of our sin nature that nobody does it. Everybody fails. We all fail when we try to do it by human effort. But there's kind of this um, reoccurring theme under the law where someone will try really, really hard and then they'll fail and then they'll repent and offer sacrifices. They'll be claimed pure again. And then they go out the next day and they try really hard and then they fail and then they repent and then they try really hard and they fail and they repent. It's a vicious cycle that goes on and on and on for 1,500 years, right? And so when I think about the question that I asked you earlier, how do we not indulge the flesh but instead love our neighbor as ourself, I think that someone who was in that mindset of law, someone who had lived the Jewish experience in those 1,500 years, would have to answer that question that in order to not indulge the flesh but instead love their neighbor, they would say, I'm going to try really hard to not indulge the flesh. And instead, I'm going to try really hard to love people. Right? It's all up to me. My human effort. I feel it today. I woke up on the right side of the bed. I can do this. Let's go. 
Paul says, you guys are free from that. We're now under no law. And the new system is a system of reliance on the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, unlike with the law, the rules are no longer posted super clearly for us to read and understand. There's a little less certainty and a little more ambiguity. I give up control. I stop trying so hard to do it myself, and I allow the Spirit to take control and lead me. Now, this should be obvious to all of us, but I'm going to say it anyways because I think our culture has told me that it's not so obvious. (laughs) But I want you to know, it is impossible to be led by the Spirit and also rely on your own human effort. Let me repeat that. It's impossible to be led by the Spirit and also rely upon your own human effort. Anybody in here in the room enjoy dancing? Put your hands down. Someone might see. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay, we got like five people that admit they like dancing. Uh, uh, Yeah. If any of you guys were at Phil and Elena Amundsen's wedding, uh, that was like one of the most beautiful dances I've ever seen in my life. I knew that Phil, because I I used to live with Phil, I knew that he could dance, and I knew that Elena could dance. But if you saw them at their wedding, Phil had Elena like spinning all over the dance floor, doing all these crazy things. She had the most beautiful dress on. It was like flowing. It was like something out of a movie, just beautiful, great dancing. And then after that, shortly after, they got up and said, hey, everybody, we're going to do a dance lesson for everyone else. And I feel so bad for poor Becca Snow. She got paired up with me and uh, probably had to ice her feet when she got home because I stepped on her so much. It was not very good. But, um, yeah, if you watch Phil and Elena dance, you know that anyone who's dancing, you can't lead and follow at the same time. If you have two people trying to lead, what happens? You get stepped on toes, right? It can't be done. You have to have the person leading and the person following. The same is true in our spiritual walk. When the Judaizers are sitting there saying, hey, guys, you're saved by grace, but you're also justified by the law, Paul says, whoa, 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 hold on. That's impossible. That doesn't even make any sense. The two systems cannot coexist because one is a system of flesh reliance and the other is a system of spirit reliance. Those two things cannot coexist in the Christian walk. And so Paul says, hey, you guys are teaching a gospel that's not even a gospel at all. It's a false gospel. Everyone with me so far? Okay, here comes the hammer. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Here's the application. What system do we live in today? Okay, we live in the system of grace, right? We're in the dispensation of grace. We're in the same dispensation that the Galatian people were in. So when Paul says, you were called to be free, and I ask you, hey, What system are we in? Up here in your theology, I'm sorry, up here in your theology, if you know anything about um, this topic, you'll say, yeah, we're free. We're free. But I told you earlier, there's a disconnect oftentimes between what goes on up here and what we live out, right? It's true that our theology is correct. We do live in a dispensation of grace. We do live in a period marked by freedom. And yet, oftentimes, as we look around, as we look around the church, as we look around Christian culture, I believe that we believe that in our heads, but oftentimes we've created a new system of law for ourselves. 
and we live out our Christianity based largely upon our own ability or inability to follow the rules. Friends, this is a mindset of law. It is a mindset of law that is at conflict with our theology. Doesn't this happen a lot in the church? Don't we judge one another often based upon someone else's own abilities or human effort to follow the law? Don't we look at each other, look out there and say, oh, so-and-so did that last weekend. Boy, they are really not doing it. Don't we judge ourselves? Don't we find our own worth based upon our ability to live up to the rules or not? I don't know how many times in my own life I've thought, boy, this was such a bad week. I stumbled, you know, five or six times. I just feel so unlovable. I feel so unworthy. My walk with the Lord is just really in a bad place because I didn't keep the rules. And then when I'm doing things a little better, oh, suddenly life is good. I'm confident. I'm happy. Guys, that's a law mindset. Look at how we handle sin in the church. Someone has a problem with, um, just for the sake of an example, like a, um, sexual immorality. Maybe somebody has a pornography problem. What do we do? We say, oh, you need to put a program on your computer that will report your browsing history to the pastor so that he can keep you accountable. Or you need to be in a group with other guys who have this problem so that you have to be embarrassed to admit to them what you've been doing, and then that embarrassment or accountability will keep you walking in the right direction. Or if you have your computer in your bedroom, you know, move that out to the living room. That way the family or your roommates will be around and they won't you won't have that temptation. Etc. etc. Those are human efforts. Those are things we do to overcome sin in our own human effort. Guys, I want to tell you, sin is not the main problem. Sin is not the main problem. It is simply a symptom of the real problem, which is a life led by human effort instead of reliance on the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what Paul says? Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, right? Why are we trying to stop all these things on our own effort instead of relying on the Spirit? I look around the church and I see that in some ways we have become so like the Judaizers that Paul is condemning in Galatians. We've created a gospel of grace that also focuses on works. And what does Paul say? He says that is no gospel at all. It's not the gospel. There's a verse uh, in chapter 3 where Paul says, After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And so it brings me to my favorite question. Why? Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we say up here and to other people, oh, we are a people of grace. We rely on the Spirit and then turn around and go live our lives in a way that contradicts that. We bind ourselves by these rules and laws and regulations and human effort. Why do we do that? I'm not going to go super far into this, but I think a couple reasons. One is that we're Americans. I told you in my introduction, I think this is an issue facing the American church um, for a large part of it, is because we're Americans, I think we are so used to individualism and so used to self-reliance. We grow up being told, hey, you can be anything you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. All it takes is hard work, right? <laughs> Boy, 
That is a load of baloney, let me tell you. <laughs> Hard work's good, but you can't be anything you want to be. Um, but also within the church, what goes on within these four walls that leads people to not live this out? I think one answer is that we've created a shame culture in Christianity. We are so afraid to let anyone know that we're imperfect, aren't we? Boy, I don't, I don't know if you can relate to this. I sure can. We put on these masks and act like everything is so good and we don't want other people to know that we struggle. But I think what the Bible tells us and the truth of the matter is that our struggles should not alienate us from one another, but instead they should unite us. They should bring us together. Because in our weakness, we can understand and relate to other people's weakness and struggles. And we can have love and compassion because we understand what they're going through and the difficulties in life. Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, why is this important? Why does this matter? Am I just up here to make you all feel like you're doing it wrong and then go home and I've done my job? No, (laughs) absolutely not. Paul gives a very good reason as to why this is important and why this is vital for the life of the church. And he says that the life or death of the church and its members is dependent on whether we can surrender control and let the Spirit lead. Look at verse 15 where he says, If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. And then in verse 25 and 26 he says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, he lists a couple lists in here that are a little uncomfortable to read. The first list is a little uncomfortable, and the second one is a little more comfortable. But he lists the waste products of Christians who rely on human effort. And what does he say? Uh, this is a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand. But as we read this list, think about how many of these things have you seen in the, the body of Christ. How many of these things have you seen in the body of Christ? These are the waste products of Christians who rely on human effort. Sexual immorality, yep. Impurity and debauchery, yep. Idolatry and witchcraft. I haven't personally seen witchcraft, but I think idolatry is one of the key uh, sins of the church today. Don't we put money and possessions and most importantly our own selves um, ahead of the Lord? Isn't that what idolatry is? Serving, worshiping something other than God? Hatred, yep, seen that. Discord, yep. Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, oh boy, yeah. Factions and envy. We've all seen this, haven't we? We've all seen it in the church, unfortunately. Paul says these things destroy the church and its members. And I know that many of us can speak from experience. I grew up here at Berean. My family started attending Berean when I was two years old. I started going to King's High School, or King's Elementary, I guess, when I was in kindergarten. Went through kindergarten, through K-12 through at King's. I've been around Christian culture a lot. And I've seen firsthand so much of this happening. Other people hurting other Christians by the way they treat them. I can name person after person that I went to youth group with. I can name people that I went to kings with who no longer are part of the faith because how they were treated by people who should have loved them. Not only do these actions hurt other people, but they destroy us in the process. They make us less than who God wants us to be. 
By contrast, Paul says, the fruit of a life that is reliant on the Spirit is this. So we got waste product, now we got fruit. The fruit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The point here is this, that the fruit or the waste that you produce is directly related to who you let be in control of your life. I had to kind of giggle to myself yesterday uh, during Sam Warmanhoven's um, service. Believe me, I was not giggling. Most of the time I was crying my eyes out. But there was a point where I giggled because Pastor Jim talked from this very passage when he was talking about my friend Sam. And I thought, oh, if he only knew, I was going to be talking about that tomorrow. It's kind of funny. But uh, he was talking about Sam and how Sam exemplified some of the fruit of the Spirit. And I remember, I don't remember everything Pastor Jim said, but I remember one of the things he said that was that Sam exemplified gentleness. And even before Jim mentioned that, I was thinking that to myself because I knew Sam. And uh, I just thought he was such a gentle man. Um, he was one of my leaders in the JV program with Awana. And uh, if you knew me back then, you would know I really didn't like going to Awana. In fact, it was something that my parents kind of had to bring me to kicking and screaming, I think. <laughs> I wasn't really a fan of it. I didn't really like memorizing the Bible verses, and I kind of didn't really care that much. But when I got to JVs, um, Sam was my leader and really, really had me excited to come to Awana because I knew that he cared about me. I really knew that he cared. When I would get there, he would be so excited to see me, give me a big hug, ask me how my week was going. He was such a gentle man. He was so kind and loving that he was like a high point for me in that year of Awana. And so I had to smile when Jim started talking about the fruit of the Spirit with Sam. If Sam was here today, though, I guarantee you that he would not take any credit for his gentleness. He would not take any credit for his love or his gentleness or his kindness, his patience. He would say, hey, those things didn't come from my own human effort. It was nothing that I did, but it was instead my relationship with the Lord and my reliance upon the Holy Spirit to lead me and to guide me in how I should treat these young men at our church, right? Friends, you and I live in the same dispensation as the Galatians. We're in the same place. So when Paul says to the Galatians, you were called to be free, that applies to us as well. You and I today here in Berean Bible Church in Shoreline, Washington, are called to be free. Do not allow yourselves to be burdened again by the slavery that comes from justification through human effort. God wants you and I to give up control, to be led by the Spirit. And when we do, he says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Following the Spirit will benefit you more than anything else you can do today. And it will benefit the people sitting around you and the pews next to you. It will benefit us all as a church, as a body of Christ. What are you going to do with that theology? Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for your word. I know that having the opportunity to study it always challenges me. I always get so much out of preaching and teaching. Lord, I pray that it would not just become head knowledge for us, that we wouldn't just know theology well, but that we would live it out and apply it to our lives because that's what's really important, how we live, not what we just know and understand and can explain on a test or something. 
God, this is a difficult one. We like to be in control. We like to be in charge and do things our way. But that's not your way. Your way is submission and reliance upon the spirit that you've given us. Help remind us of that. Help us to somehow give up control and to walk where you lead. In your name I pray. Amen. Please stand with us once more as we sing, There is a Redeemer. Thank you for joining us today. Josh, come on up. We're going to have a word of prayer and uh, pray God's blessing on you as you prepare for your ministry in Macedonia. Yeah, get your tablet. There we go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, how good it was. It'll help you. And uh, he's going out with Send Missionaries, and uh, we'll be look forward to good reports. We'll hear some reports from you, right? If what you are you getting? Email list. You can share it around. Yeah. Okay. And there's <laughs> in, and there's information on the table back there still. Uh, I'll just stand by the table. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So let's pray and have a word of prayer for Josh. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. It's touched our hearts. It's drawn us to you. And we thank you for Josh, Lord, and his love for you and just his desire to serve you. We pray as he leaves uh, this week now for Macedonia that you will go before him and that you will use him in a wonderful way to touch lives as he works with the church there and some of the church planning ministries and the evangelism in Macedonia. We think of that Macedonian call. Uh, where the Apostle Paul was called to Macedonia and the, and the gospel went to Europe and changed history. And Lord, we just pray you'll just use him in a wonderful way. We look forward to hearing great reports. Keep him safe. Keep him healthy. Bring him back to his safety, Lord. And we put him in your care and ask your blessing upon him. And all God's people can say together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming and joining us today. We'll see you next Sunday.